Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Terra Nova. Um, my name is Pastor Matt. First name Pastor, last name Matt. No, I'm joking. Um, Matt Schwartz, I'm the pastor of worship and operations here at Terra Saratoga, and it's a joy and a privilege, as always, to preach and bring you the word. And this is an environment where we can all learn together. This isn't me feeding you information and then we all go home. This is a, a learning environment where we can all open up God's word, see what it says, and hopefully grow closer to Jesus together as a community. Um, today, we continue on in the book of Ruth. We've had a series in Ruth over the last few months, and I, I think I say this a lot, but um, when, when we're studying books that are shorter in length, I mean, books that are longer in length, of course, but books particularly like Ruth that are shorter in length, it's really important that we read from start to finish so we can get the whole narrative in view. And it's not that hard to do that. It'll take you maybe 15, 20 minutes. And so I just encourage you that as we're going through this series, um, do that a couple times, just to read the whole entire story from beginning to end to really lock in with the key themes and things like that. Kids, Quest kids that are up here this morning, this is something that you can do. Um, maybe the Bible is a little bit scary to read because it's so huge, but read the book of Ruth. It's a really cool story, um, and you can definitely read it all the way through. So um, this book, as we've talked about, is really a case study in love. It says that on our posters back there for our series. It's a case study in love and what it looks like to love well. And through its characters in this story, we see highlighted throughout this book different qualities of love. And today we're going to see three main qualities of love through these three characters, Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz. And the qualities of love we're going to be focusing on this morning are that love is generous, as seen through Boaz, that love is obedient, as seen through Ruth, and that love satisfies, as seen through Naomi. So let's read the text and we'll get going. And I would ask for those of you who are able to please stand for the reading of God's word. Ruth chapter 2, verse 14. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers. And he passed to her roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some sheaves from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went to the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she said to her mother-in-law, with whom she with whom she had worked, and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. 
And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you will go out with his young women, lest another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests, and she lived with her mother-in-law. This is the word of God. You may be seated. As we get going, let me just pray for our time. Heavenly Father, thank you for teaching us. Thank you for giving us instruction. Thank you for um, creatively and beautifully and poetically bringing your word to life uh, in our lives and our hearts, and especially through this story of Ruth. Please help us to know you better because of it. In your name we pray, amen. Okay, so let's jump right in. Our first um, demonstration of love here. We'll have a slide uh, coming up here in a second. Our first gen- our, our first. Um, demonstration of love is that love is generous. So we see this through the character of Boaz. And in this section of the text, we start in verse 14, where Boaz is inviting Ruth to his table to dip her morsel into his cup. Now, this is a rather bold move to invite a foreigner to a table. Now, even more so then today, um, the table, uh, uh, having a meal in the ancient Near East was, was a very intimate gesture of belonging, of togetherness, of gift giving. And sharing a meal was kind of saying like, I accept you, you're mine, you're in my home, I accept you as my own. But the interesting thing here, and the author of Ruth reminds us throughout Ruth the Moabite, reminds us that Ruth is a foreigner and the Moabites were, uh, were generally, historically, um, at odds with Israel. They lived across, they lived across the way um, from the Dead Sea and they were, uh, they were a tribe that generally had conflict with Israel. And so this was a people that you didn't necessarily want to be associated with or assimilated with. And this is what makes the generosity of Boaz that much more significant. Now, previously, if you were here last week or if you've read the book of Ruth, you know that Boaz had given Ruth access to the water jugs. Again, placing one's lips to a jug that others were placing their lips to showed a generous demonstration of openness, demonstration of intimacy, a generous demonstration of giving. And so Boaz invites Ruth over to the table, and she ate, and she was, it says in verse 14, she says she was satisfied. Not only did she have enough to eat for that meal, but she was full enough to bring leftovers home to Naomi. But his generosity doesn't stop here. He doesn't just feed her and send her along on her way. It goes even deeper. Verse 14 says, Boaz instructs his young men to let her glean even among the sheaves, not just the edges, and do not reproach her. Also, pull some of the bundles out for her. Now, Daniel did a great job last week at explaining what gleaning is, and so I'm, I'm not going to labor over this, but gleaning was, was not a lucrative activity. Gleaning was about scraping by, getting enough to survive the next day. You wouldn't necessarily be putting up stores of wheat and collecting wheat to kind of have food for for the entire year. You would just be getting food to not die, essentially. And Boaz goes one step further, and he asks his men 
to let her take from the good stuff, not just the stuff that's already been knocked down. So if you can picture in your brain, these farmers, they would grab a bunch of heads of wheat and then they had their sickle thing and they would whack off a bunch of wheat and they said, they, Boaz said to them, give her some of those as well. Okay, so a gleaner wouldn't have had the tools that the workers had and so it would have been much more laborious work and so he actually has the workers help her. So from this day of gleaning, and now again, this is just picking up the bits off the ground, but from this day of gleaning in Boaz's field, um, she gathered what was said to be about an, uh, an, an ephah, and that's about 60 pounds of grain. That's a lot of grain. If you've ever lifted a 60-pound bag of anything, like that's a lot, and that would last her family for a long time. So think of this in, in more modern terms, maybe not so modern terms, maybe like the 90s terms. Remember the supermarket sweep? You guys remember that show? Come on. All right, so it'd be like you got invited to go on Supermarket Sweep, and you got to go through, but you had like five people helping you throw stuff in the cart. That's kind of what this is looking like. So now your pantry's full, you got a meal for tonight, your pantry's full, and you're like, you're good to go. I mean, it's kind of an insane amount of generosity. So we see this um, not only on this day, but in the harvests to come, Boaz even goes so far as to say, you can help with the barley harvest, but then the wheat harvest was next. And he said, I want you to finish up the barley harvest with us, and then I want you to do the wheat harvest with us. So when we look at love being generous through the man of Boaz, we see that generous love doesn't just meet base level needs. Now, there's nothing wrong with meeting base level needs. But true love goes further than just meeting needs. It fills and it overflows and it gives without limit or budget. And for Boaz, it even goes into territory which for him could have been uncomfortable or risky. In inviting Ruth to his table, Boaz was actually putting his reputation online and he was a well thought of person in town. But I really think the most beautiful part of the generosity of Boaz um, comes when we see that this originates not from his own wealth or prestige, but it actually, um, it actually comes from the Lord. And he says this in verse 12, which we studied last week. He says and acknowledges back in verse 12 that he is an instrument in the hands of Yahweh, under whose wings he says that both he and Ruth can take refuge and be safe. And he acknowledges that he's being used as an instrument in the plan of God. So we can marvel at the abundance and generosity and care poured out into Ruth from Boaz, but we need to remember Ruth's obedience. So our second point today is that love is obedient. So in this story, we see that love transcends our feelings and our fears and our discomforts. And it is Ruth in this story who begins with a, self, a selfless act of love by clinging on to her mother-in-law from leaving her people. It has been explained before, but I just want to, to reiterate how out of luck these women were. Not only could a widow uh, be down, uh, down and out and poor and destitute and vulnerable in her own land, but Ruth left the Moabites. She left her land and returned with Naomi to Bethlehem. So she leaves her culture. She leaves her people, her home, and she, she subjects herself to danger and exposure because she's not only a widowed woman, 
but she's an immigrant. An immigrant from a land with which the Israelites had conflict. But out of love, she was loyal to Naomi, and this led to her obedience to those around her because she wanted to serve her mother-in-law. She wanted to serve her new master, Boaz. So out of obedience, she went, as requested in the beginning of chapter 2, to go to the fields to glean, to get something so that they would not perish. She obeyed her mother-in-law to go and to put herself out there. In the fields, um, these women could have been subject to rejection, to beatings, to rape, or worse. So she's actually, her obedience, she knows that there's, there could be a cost to this. But out of love for her mother-in-law, she obeys. But through her obedience, we see God working through that. And Boaz, it just so happened that she ended up in the field of Boaz. And it just so happened that Boaz had given her favor and protection. And we'll see all of these pieces start to come together in this, uh, this week and next week. Okay, so hold on. Okay, all these pieces are starting to come together. But one of the most... Uh, the obedience that we see of Ruth that happens in verse 14 where we started this morning was that Boaz said, Ruth, come over here and eat from my table. She obeys, and it seems kind of like a no-brainer. Like if the boss is like, hey, come on over to my table, you'd be like, yes, of course. But hold on a second. Put yourself in Ruth's shoes. She's an outcast of society. She's from a different land. And she's asked to cozy up to the boss and go straight to the head table. Can you imagine the looks she got? Can you imagine maybe the comments under people's breath? Now, again, it doesn't say it in the text. Pure speculation here. But a foreigner getting a seat with a master on her first day? Think of the actual courage it took Ruth to say, yes, I will go and put myself in this position. Again, her obedience, she probably realizes, could come at a cost. Now, skip ahead with me to verse 21, to the end of our section today, um, to uh, another instant of obedience in this text that might get overlooked. It certainly did for me um, until I studied this deeper, but really interesting uh, piece. So get, uh, open up your Bibles and get ready to underline, starting in verse 21. Verse 21 says, And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, this is, she's talking to Naomi. She'd come home with her sack of grain. She comes home, talked to me, Naomi, and says, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close to my young men, underline men, until they have finished all my harvest. Verse 22. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out and be with his young women, underline women, lest in another field you be assaulted. Verse 23, so she kept close to the young women, underline women, of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Now, again, I kind of skipped over this at first, but does anyone catch what's going on? For those of you who kind of know what's going to happen is read the book of Ruth. We're going to dissect this more next week, okay? But Naomi's really smart. She understands the implications of Boaz being their family redeemer. She understands the implications of Boaz giving favor to her. Wink, wink, wink. She kind of knows, hey, 
there's maybe a, a path forward here where Boaz isn't just going to help us, but actually there's going to be something more happening that will redeem our family, not just uh, with material blessings, but with generational blessings. Okay? And so, uh, so Naomi says, I know, that, I, I know that he said, stick with my workers, the young men, they're not going to touch you. But she says, stick with the women. Because she knows Ruth is, had been favored by the boss. Who knows? Maybe one of those young men might take notice of Ruth. She might take notice of him. But Naomi knows, I see what's going on. I see the plan of God. Stick to the women. Now, again, I know this may seem kind of small and um, insignificant, but obedience, no matter how small, is always important to God and his plan. It's always important. Did you hear that, adults? Obedience is always important to God, no matter how small. Kids, did you hear that? Obedience, no matter how small, is always important to God and his plan. If your parents say, do it this way, there's probably a good reason for that. So do it that way. And ask questions if you don't understand. Okay, so really interesting look into love being obedient in the love of, of, of Ruth in the way that, that that plays out in her obedience to others. Okay, so, so far we focused on the generosity of Boaz, the obedience of Ruth, and now we're going to look at our third point, and we're going to look at love satisfies, and we're going to look at that through the life of Naomi. Great job with slides, Gage, by the way. You're really tracking, man. Good job. All right, so it's the love that Ruth had for Naomi that sent her into a foreign land and doesn't just bring sustenance for the two widows, but actually brings them legit and long-lasting provision. And this picture of love um, satisfying this family is most obviously seen materially. They have grain after this story. Um, they have grain to live. They have grain to put up. And uh, Ruth is going to get grain for the next couple months while she works in the harvest, probably for the entire year. And we've seen the generosity of, uh, of, of Boaz. But Naomi knows that she is cared for, but she knows that it's not just her hunger that's being cared for. She knows that she's, she's finally satisfied after starving, but satisfaction here for Naomi goes a lot deeper. It goes deeper than a full stomach and a full pantry. Let's look at verse 19 and 20. When Ruth returns and says to her, Mother-in-law, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, This man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. Now here in the climax of the story, I really believe that this is kind of the, the climax of the book of Ruth. Naomi seems to be clearly seeing all the pieces come together, clearly see the hand of God answering her bitterness in loss, and sees his plan to right the wrongs in her life and give life into where there once was death. Her satisfaction here is not just grain, but it's seeing the plan of God unfolding, and she worships in this moment. Now think of it this way. You're more or less homeless and starving, and you send your daughter-in-law out behind a grocery store to kind of pick through the dumpster, and she's actually met there by the manager and of the store, and she's given a works 
uh, a, a week's worth of groceries right then and there. But not only is she given a week's worth of groceries, she's given a job at that store. And then when in the job also, this position comes with a house and with land. And by the way, the manager alludes to her that he's kind of interested in her and could possibly marry her and tapping her into all of his resources as well. So in a nutshell, this is, this is kind, of, kind of what's going on. Now, not a perfect parallel story, but just to kind of bring this to kind of modern terms and understand. It's that moment. I don't know if you've ever had this moment, but it's that moment that you, in your soul, you feel from now on things are going to be different. And it's going to be different from now on for Ruth and Naomi because Boaz is a relative from the clan of Elimelech, Naomi's late husband, and is a family redeemer, a kinsman redeemer. Same thing, family redeemer, kinsman redeemer, same thing. So what is a kinsman redeemer? We hear this term a couple times throughout the Bible, most specifically in Ruth, but what is this? So this is someone in a family who provides protection for a family like Naomi's that's in great need. And this redeemer in a family had various roles, which some are more obvious and some are actually kind of interesting. So here are a couple of them. Um, a kinsman redeemer would purchase property that was lost because a family fell into hard times and the property got sold. They would actually buy that property back for the family. Um, they would, um, it was very common for if you couldn't pay your bills, you went into slavery. And so if you were a slave, your kinsman redeemer from your clan could come and basically essentially buy you back into freedom. Some of you are seeing some beautiful parallels here. Um, another one was to, uh, if one of the, if, 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 one of, if a husband died, uh, the kinsman redeemer would come and actually procreate children to create a son to continue the line for generations. And then here's this really interesting one, actually. If someone in your family was murdered, the kinsman redeemer would avenge the murder and go and kill the guy that killed someone in their family. Isn't that interesting? It's kind of like Robin Hood. Like, I, seriously, I, I was kind of blown away by that. Like, that's, that's intense. So the position of a kinsman redeemer was, was, like, from top to bottom, like, anything that could go wrong, this kinsman redeemer would come in and right all the wrongs for your family. So you might have thought and seen today, this morning, maybe some of you who are jotting down notes, that I only had three um, or demonstrations of love in three characters, okay? And I did that on purpose because I wanted us to see the buildup because there's actually a fourth demonstration of love. There's actually a fourth character in this story that I want to outline for us now. I wanted us to kind of have this buildup to this point with the Redeemer in this passage. So we've seen that love is generous, one. We've seen love is obedient, two. We've seen love satisfies. And three, and four, we'll see that love redeems. Love redeems. And love reclaims, and it brings light into dark, and it brings death into life. And we'll see in this fourth demonstration of love, Boaz as being the redeemer. But actually, the real fourth character in this study here today is, can anybody guess? It's a hidden character. Can anybody guess? Come on. Jesus, right? Gage is like, I did the slide. I see the slide up there, see? And it, whenever, in, whenever you're in doubt, if some pastor asks you a question, it's probably Jesus is the answer. It's, at least that's a safe answer. 
But yes, Jesus, okay, he is really the hidden character and really the, the champion of this entire book. And truly everything in this story points to him. And every expression of love in this story is seen and lived out and true for all of us because it's lived out and true for Jesus and who he is as our Redeemer. Now, next week, we are going to look a little bit deeper at the implications for Boaz as the kinsman redeemer in the life of Ruth and Naomi. But before we do that next week, I really want us to, to pitch our tent for the rest of our time to the ending of, of our talk today about that Jesus is the whole point of this story. If we miss him, we're missing the entire point of the story. Jesus perfectly demonstrates each of these qualities of love to us. And so, because it's all about Jesus, let's take a few moments and just worship him through the reading of his word that, um, that reads uh, of his love, his generous, obedient, and satisfying love. So, um, you don't need to flip here, just let these words wash over you in worship of, of our Savior. So, Ephesians three eighteen to 20 says... This is about um, the generosity of, of Jesus' love. Verse 18, may you have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we could ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout generations. Amen. John 3.16, some of you know this one. Let's not get tired of saying John 3.16 because it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Jesus' love is generous. He didn't save his love for just a select you but for all. Jesus didn't hold anything back to us when he rose again and returned to the Father. He gave us his Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit that would flow through us, not just generously, but infinitely, infinitely. The love of Jesus is satisfying. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 6, he said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied. Isaiah 58, 11 says, And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong, and you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. John 14, 13 to 14, Jesus says, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. What about the love of Jesus being obedient? It was, after all, the love of Jesus that made him obedient to the plan of his father, which led to his death on a cross. Before he dies, he says to his father, Father, not my will, but yours. He was obedient even to the point of death. Philippians 2, 8 to 11 says, Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So as we ponder this story, we must do so. 
in light of our ultimate redeemer, Jesus. He is the champion of this story. The story is beautiful, but if it doesn't point to God and his plan, it's just another nice story. And that's what the Hallmark Channel is for. Many of you are going to start the Hallmark Channel repeat thing after Halloween. Maybe some of you have started already. May the Lord bless you. Um, but these are stories. We love these stories, right? Because they make us feel good. But in, at the end of the day, it's very rare to have an attractive young uh, lawyer to come and live in, in a mountain town uh, to be met by the carpenter and they have kids and they, yeah, I don't know. Sorry. That may come from a personal experience in watching some of those shows with my wife. But anyway, so. But really, I know I, we're having a little fun here, but, but really, Ruth is a beautiful story. But if it doesn't point to Jesus, it's just another beautiful story. And our lives are full of beautiful stories. But hear this. The truth in which we live today is that the love of Jesus and his power to redeem us, to right our wrongs, to accept us, to pay for our sins, to heal our broken places, and to abundantly fill us with his spirit, this is a story you and I get to live every single day when we submit to Christ as our Savior. Romans 8, 16 to 17 says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So this is good news, friends. The best, the best news. And those here today that may be stricken with grief, that may have named themselves as Naomi does, Mara. Maybe you're sad, depressed, struggling with sickness. See in this story that God is in your story too, just as he was in Naomi's story, even before she could see it. All of us will suffer, and we have a Savior who suffered with us and suffered like us and will endure with us and will walk with us whatever story we're living out. And his love for you is more generous and more satisfying than anything this world could give us. And he will help us through the hardest parts of our stories. Now, if you're rejoicing today, maybe in provision or maybe clarity of growth in your life with, with Jesus, stop and look and see, look back and see how God has knit your story together to bless you and praise him for that and give testimony to what Jesus has done for you. Now, actually, today after communion, um, we're going to have a time for uh, the women who went on the retreat last week to give testimony of what God has done in their lives. I heard so many amazing things from, from Jessmine and from Leah and Heather and Amber about how the Lord really worked on the retreat. Um, it, it's just awesome to hear. And so during communion, um, if two or three ladies would like to come forward, just come sit down here. Um, Ben's gonna have a mic for you. And just take a minute or two to give testimony of what God did during that time, to bless us, to enrich us, to help, to help us on our walks be encouraged where we are, okay? So if nobody comes up, that's totally fine. 
Okay, but we'd love one or two ladies, three ladies to come up. Keep it brief. We want to hear your story, um, but we also have some time constraints. Um, but we'd love to hear what God has done in your heart and your lives. Okay, so to close today, we'll have the, I'm going to have the band come up. I'm going to give us uh, a couple application pieces as we go, a couple questions. So if you like to snap pictures of the questions, get ready, because there's going to be three longer questions that I want us to ponder throughout this week as you um, journey with others, um, possibly through tribes. Because if we call ourselves Christians, we are, that means that we are Christ followers. And so the, the hope uh, from today and studying God's word is that we would love like Jesus, that we would love generously, that we would love obediently, that, that we would gain satisfaction from the love that Jesus bestows upon us. And so our three questions this morning, um, can we get, can we find that, those slides? We got them? Awesome. Oh, they're all up there. So the first question, what am I afraid of being generous with? My time? My gifts? my presence in people's lives? How might I step out in faith to meet above and beyond the surface needs of those in my life? With what am I afraid of being generous with? My time, my gifts, my presence in people's lives? How might I step out in faith to meet above and beyond the surface needs of those in my life? Second question, where have I looked to my flesh to satisfy a need that, if I thought about it, has its root in a deeper need that only Jesus and his spirit can satisfy? Let me say that one again, too, because it's wordy. Where have I looked to my flesh to satisfy a need that, if I thought about it, actually has a root in a deeper need that only Jesus and his spirit can satisfy? That's a big one for me, I can say that. Third question, where is Jesus calling me to be obedient to him and to trust his plan for me, even when it's hard? Where is Jesus calling me to be obedient to him and trust his plan, even when it's hard? So let me pray for us, and then um, Madison is going to transition us into a time of communion, and then immediately following communion, we'll have time for some testimony. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for uh, giving us your word as instruction, um, for drawing us near with story and poetry and imagery. Thank you for being a creative and loving God. I pray that you would help us see you as generous and that we would reflect that out to others. I pray that you'd help us see how out of love you are obedient even to death on a cross so that we could be saved and forgiven. Help us to see that your spirit and your love satisfies like nothing else can. Let us draw near to you as we draw near to the table. And would you change us day by day? In your name we pray, amen.